0: welcome back everyone you're watching we heart therapy the special series eft talk i'm your host dr annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified eft supervisor and therapist here in ulis las vegas nevada and i am super excited to be bringing back with us today um, Dr. Leanne Campbell, she she's done quite a few episodes with us before, and she is fantabulous. She is a registered psychologist in Canada. She's an ICEF certified EFT trainer. She's actually one of the originals with ICEF and EFT. She's been working with Sue since nearly the beginning. And um, she's amazing. And she runs the, she's a founder of the Vancouver Island Center for EFT in Canada. And she is one of our trauma specialists, and she's an eFIT specialist, and she's just absolutely incredible. And we are so honored and blessed to have you back today. So thank you, Leanne, for just joining us back today. And uh, we're gonna be talking about grief today. Yes. And, you know, I always say there's really not much that EFT can't handle, and this is just another example. And so Thank you for for gracing us today and honoring us with your wisdom around grief. Uh,
1: Thank you, Annabelle, for that beautiful introduction and great to be with you again and your amazing community. Thank you. And thank you for all you bring to EFT.
0: Thank you so much. And likewise. And if you want to just kind of get us started, if you want to maybe give everyone maybe a brief description of grief when we're talking about grief and how we might view that through the attachment lens.
1: Sure. Okay, thank you. Well, I think just a really basic definition of grief is that grief is a response to loss. And attachment theory um, knows a lot about love and loss. And we've been spending a lot of years focused on couples and how to build bonds and strengthen bonds and um maybe a little bit less attention on how we help our clients manage when those bonds are lost um mm-hmm. due to divorce or death or separation or whatever the case may be so um i'm really happy to be here talking a bit more about grief and loss and yeah and when we think about um making sense of grief through the lens of attachment, I think there's, you know, we could spend all day. But a few key points is that one, as many of you have heard Sue say, and probably you say, Annabelle, and many other trainers and all kinds of people um, say that we are wired for connection. Um, bonding is a biological imperative. We need each other like fish need water, as Sue often um, says. And so it makes perfect sense that when we lose someone very special to us a pillar of security, as Mario McLunser and Bill Shaver describe in some of their writings, that there would be this period of longing. Um, And and that makes perfect sense, that we would be searching for our loved one. As Joan Didion beautifully described in her book around the loss of her husband, um, it it feels so disorienting and destabilizing. It's it's as though um, she's waiting for her husband to show up at the door looking for his shoes. and those of us who have worked a lot in grief and loss know that that's a common experience.
0: Yeah, that's so beautifully said. And I when I think of therapists discussing grief, what I find is it's like almost what I, I think I hear is kind of a loss of a roadmap for many therapists is like, You know, okay. well, at least in EFT, you know, we're used to bringing people together and you have two people in the room and we're helping to increase the connection of a bond. But what happens when that bond goes away, when, you know, you may only be working with one person in the room, then then it's kind of like, well, wait, what do we do now? And and first and foremost, what comes to my own heart is one of the other fundamentals of EFT is just being able to sit with people in their distress and tolerate it. And I think this is important when it comes to grief, because our instinct as humans, when we see someone suffering, is to try to fix it and make it better. But in EFT, we also know that being with somebody in their pain is a way of making it better, even though it's not its not like magic beans or something or like a wand, like I dub thee no longer sad, <laughs> you know. And it's sadness. I, I think for them to experience that sadness is an important part of the healing journey. and. You know, it feels like a lot of therapists, even outside EFT, sort of get eager to rush the process. So do our clients. Is like, let's hurry up and feel better. And you know, that sadness, that loss, really honors the connection, honors that something, something really mattered, someone really mattered to someone. And I don't want to deprive them of of that. I think that grief is like a form of respect, also, for yeah. what was had you know? So let's talk about how that kind of sits with you around this idea of a roadmap and being able to sit and tolerate people in distress, like just to hold that with them. I think that's really tough.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Beautifully said, Annabelle. I really appreciate um, what you're saying about, and I think in EFT, we, of course, emotion-focused therapy, are accustomed to working with emotion, but oftentimes the intensity of emotion associated with grief can be really challenging, and especially because for many of us, of course, it might put us in touch with our own sense of loss around someone we loved or have loved um, and love, or it might... Um, it might overwhelm us. And especially when that loss is sudden and traumatic, the intensity of emotion can be overwhelming, but that's exactly so. That's what we know from an attachment perspective and from an EFT perspective, is that when we can walk alongside someone in their most vulnerable moments, in their moments of need, that that is healing. And so oftentimes in grief, the way that I think about it is that sometimes sometimes Simply, people need a companion to walk alongside them, to be able to tolerate the intensity of that emotion, to not rush it, to not provide some kind of prescription or timeline that um, suggests that people have to move on from an EFT perspective. Absolutely. We would um, expect that people need to move through grief not on from grief, Mm -hmm. and that in so doing, um, we actually can hold our loved ones indefinitely. Um, We know that um, in the attachment literature, people talk about a symbolic source of security, and again, we can turn to researchers and clinicians and theoreticians such as McElunser and Shaver and others, and lots of great books out there. Um, and in the grief literature, we often hear that same term um, or that same idea being um, coined as a continuing bond. Hmm. And, um, you know, working in trauma, as you um noted that I do, that we can use that continuing bond as a resource for clients as well, just like we do. We know that when we have a felt sense of security with those who matter most, we can call upon them from near and far, whether they're at work or at the grocery store or, or even, um, even those that we have lost. Um, so an example that comes to mind for me is working with a beautiful young Indigenous woman And, you know, one of the things that we do in EFIT is we tune into the pivotal experiences that have shaped models of self and other uh, for better and for worse. And so one of the things that we think about in stage one of therapy is resourcing our client. And early on with this beautiful young woman, um, I joined her in her grandmother's garden. And got to know her grandma and um, walked with her through the filled clothes line and um, tuned in to the image of her grandma, the kerchief she wore, the eyes, her eyes, the way she looked at this little girl, the traditional basket that sat high on a shelf and the little children many, many grandchildren who would come and stay with her would boost each other up to reach the candy. And you notice as I um, share in these details, it becomes alive, and we can all feel it. And then when we do that with our clients, they too can tune into these resources, these continuing bonds in ways that they might not have recognized. And in fact, many weeks later, in working with us client she shared with me that she hadn't thought about her grandma in that way, even though her grandma was near and dear to her and such a special person, she hadn't realized this potential to call upon her in um, really explicit ways.
0: Mm. That's really beautiful. And and I I really feel that. And, sort of the way my brain processes things is in images. So as you're describing the image, I'm sort of playing the the Hollywood film in my brain, the Hallmark movie, right? And and I feel like what a cool experience of getting to know somebody who's not even physically present, but and what a wonderful way to honor their memory. And I mean, that's sacred and, and that's pretty awesome. And um, I love what you're saying also about attachment you know and what we know about attachment is that we have that working model of self and others and we can access that model of others you know our secure attachment figures almost like a file that we can we can visit and draw from in moments of distress and that emotional connection can span physical proximity physical closeness which is super helpful when there's grief and I know some of the really powerful enactments that I've done in eFit with my clients when they have been grieving someone, a loved one who's passed away is, you know, very similar. We get to know that person. And, you know, we invite that that past that loved one who's passed on into the room. I have them imagine their voice. Can you hear their voice? What would they be saying to you? You know, how do you feel as you you hear their voice right here, right now? You know, and it just really is a game changer for them you know and uh what what a beautiful experience
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and just returning to this notion of um loss and identity of course in eft also we talk about our sense of who we are being constructed and evolving in our most important relationships so it makes perfect sense that our clients that we would go through this period of disorientation and disorganization Mm -hmm. following the loss of a loved one Mm -hmm. and um so one of the things that we do in EFT was really tune into what that relationship was like was it secure or insecure what might be blocking the grief process if it is grief, uh, if it is blocked. And what do we mean by a block? Again, when we think about secure attachment being connected with this capacity to regulate emotion, to move with and through emotion, once again, we would expect in grief that we would walk alongside clients mm-hmm. in um these waves of emotion that people talk about. And um, McElonster and Shaver talk about this oscillation between um allowing for the longing and the yearning and the intensity of grief, and then avoiding it as well, which people often will describe as feeling some sense of guilt. So we'll tune into that and then we'll look for um, places where people might be blocked. And if they are, we help to um, remove those blocks or those barriers um, to grief so that they can continue to grow and evolve even in the context of this, um, what can be a devastating loss?
0: Yeah. So a couple things come up for me right here that I can just imagine that folks, if they were going to raise their hand and ask during this, th- here's some of the things. And it's often one of the things that I hear on Facebook where therapists might say, well, how do you know that they've grieved enough or that, you know, they're stuck in grief and that they need to move on. And again, I think part of it can be the therapist's own anxiety, like low, not not a great window of tolerance or a huge window of tolerance for just tolerating distress. And, you know, maybe some fundamentals we could outline too about somebody's ability to move through the grieving process. And then I'd like to get more clear about blocks, if that's okay with you. I think about, it depends on how the relationship ended, how long the relationship was, you know, like the strength and quality of the bond, Um, how long ago was the loss? Was it a traumatic loss? Was it something that they anticipated was coming? I mean, certainly somebody who's been married for 30 years, isn't going to just magically get over it in six weeks, you know, and probably not even like six months, you know, but some therapists may get anxious, just kind of sitting there in session week after week, like, okay, we're just processing the loss. What what do we do like they're not getting better but what is better here? Yeah. yeah. What, is, what is the thing that we're really going for? And you said something that kind of really struck me as the thing that we are going for is and I think it is part of the the grief stages is that sense of acceptance and peace. And that brings up sort of where some of the blocks can be is if there's like an anxious or an avoidant attachment, it could be we're eager to hold on to them and like kind of fear letting go as if as if accepting it means they're gone forever and we don't, you know, they, they're not quite sure how to hold on to that bond even as they have acceptance for the loss of the relationship or the loss of the loved one um, could also be like Similarly, with avoidance, right, and there's a lot of emotion on the inside that never gets dealt with, and um I find this often with clients not even around the loss of like a person who's passed away, but you know lost relationships, uh, maybe lost bonds with you know family members that just aren't interested in participating in health and relationship, and so having to grieve like the idea of certain types of bonds and being able to sit in that place. I was actually doing some grief work with the client yesterday and um, just kind of, you know, we know that process of emotion, EFT, sitting with them in their emotion. And then I noticed the tendency of the client to want to pivot out of that space. And I sort of brought them back and I said, has anyone ever sat with you in your pain and just been with you and comforted you and legitimized the pain that you're going through and my client was like no and then a new grief process started to happen yes that's good yeah
1: beautiful that's that's a beautiful yeah and that makes perfect sense doesn't it um yeah and then i think about um isolation is inherently traumatizing even more so Mm -hmm. when we are in pain Mm -hmm. and overwhelmed by the intensity of emotion associated with with grief um so one of the things that we often talk about returning to your great question and comments about what does grief look like? What does um successful grieving look like? Well, of course, grief is is as unique as the relationships we have with those we love and lo- lose. Um, so there's not really any kind of um specific formula associated with that, but one of the things that I think about often um is that. You know, there's not really any expiry date on love. And similarly, mm-hmm. there's no um, expiry date on grief. Grief can last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And those of us who have loved and lost know that we can anticipate grief to visit us at various times in our lives, for example, the anniversary of the loss Mm -hmm. or the person's birthday Mm -hmm. or a season, whatever the case may be. Um, But but we can also expect it to show up at times that we don't expect it, Mm -hmm. that we can be triggered by loss and feel that same gut-wrenching nausea um, in our stomach or whatever the case may be. Um, And, and what attachment theory and science would tell us is to face it and embrace it um, and um, welcome it. And I love the way that you described it, that in in some ways we can think about these difficult emotions, these waves of um, grief as being representative of the love and respect we have for those we've lost.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. And you said something right here, too, that really touched me that feels really important. And I think maybe sometimes we forget that grief isn't necessarily a problem to be solved. No, exactly. It's okay for people to be sad when the anniversary of, if it was like the great love of their life who passed on or a parental figure, you know, in the anniversary of their passing, that grief comes to visit. I mean... I would worry if they didn't feel sad. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's a process to be honored, Mm -hmm. an organic process to be honored. And when we do so, we continue to grow and evolve in our most important relationships, including that with the deceased.
0: Yeah. 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 So I guess then it comes back to this idea of healthy grief. How do we know when a person is stuck? And, and again, I think it kind of might go back to the uh, how it affects our functioning, right? Like immediately after a loss, it's normal that there might be a period that, you know, there might be some debilitating grief. But if that debilitation stays in place for long, long, long periods of time versus somebody who is able to grieve, someone who's able to honor that, who's able to be with the emotion and have both that emotion but also function in their day-to-day life. So what would you kind of say versus like not like successful grieving versus not successful grieving?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um I think I would want to say that this idea of success maybe is in the eyes of the individual who's experiencing the loss and it, it what comes to mind for me is that you know I I think about I think that's right that sometimes people will come to us and they feel paralyzed by the loss and really grief is mobilizing so that's one of the things that we can tune into is whether our clients are moving with and through the emotion associated with this loss and when people are paralyzed for a period again that's not uncommon that when we lose a pillar of security um somebody that we really counted on um near and far that we can expect to be shut down to not want to eat to not want to sleep to not um, be doing well to um, having difficulty concentrating and all of those things And, um, what comes to mind for me is, um, a woman that I worked with recently who beautifully shared with me her story of love and loss. And, um, I wrote about it actually in the psychotherapy networker and worked with, um, beautiful Livia and Lauren. And it's published, I think, in a summer issue. But in any case, um, she she talked about her family wanting to, her to have quote moved on and she felt she didn't know whether she should have moved on and whether these expectations were um in fact warranted or whether she was on track and so as an EF tier as you know as the audience knows we um Join our clients from a place of curiosity, not assumption. So I loved what you were saying earlier about tuning in to maybe the way that she moves with and through her emotion. Most typically, does she tend to um, avoid or does she um, reactively intensify emotion or some combination of both? Or does she typically move with and through emotion? but right now, this, this is hard because um, this is an overwhelming set of circumstances. So I joined her in her, um, marriage, actually, and got to know her partner. And she shared about their history together, how they, um, met and their love story. Um, they, she talked about building a cabin in the woods and taking their small children there. And, um, and, and as, as notice how, When we tune into, once again, just like we did with the beautiful um, Indigenous client that I was describing earlier, when I tune into her world and join her in her marriage, in her home, in her family, I can get a sense of the security of that attachment. And I can get a sense of the love that they shared. And then she talked about them retiring and moving um, and... You know, all their dreams in hand to travel and all of that. And then he started to get more and more unwell and nobody knew what was going on. And they were in and out of hospital. And then she talked about we got our diagnosis between curtains mm-hmm. in crowded mm-hmm. emergency wards, which is common, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, probably North America, but most certainly in Canada. And, and then he made the gut-wrenching decision to, um, to choose MAID, which is medical assistance in dying, which mm-hmm. is relatively new in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, she talked about honoring him and wanting to support him and their kids did too. And then when we entered um, the hospital room and tuned into those final moments together, it's there that she said, I was in survival mode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was in survival mode. All of her resources were going to him and supporting him and to being there for her family. And she shut down in that moment, she shut down. So then that, that's a cue to us that this is a potential block. So we revisited that room in Efit as we do. And as you were alluding to earlier um and, And as we did so, she began to get in touch with her own needs and longings. And initially, um, she would say, it's okay to go... Uh, which is what she said in the moment, to, again, to support him. Um, but as she tuned into her experience and became absorbed in it, she called out and said, I don't want you to go. Of course, that's what she said. So in that moment, she was able to tune into her own experience. She was able to share that with him. And as she did so, the grasp of his strong um crispy hand um, was felt that the strength of his arms around her and all of that became more vivid and more alive as she tuned into her own felt experience. And then on the other side of that, um, she started to talk about being able to see the apple tree that they had planted um, in memory of him, being able to visit him, being able to share with him stories I have a grandbaby being born, I have a new puppy. And then, um, you know, one of the things that really, really moved me uh, and moves me as I talk about it is she talked about um, honoring him with a beautiful, beautiful cedar box with an eagle atop it. And then she talked to her kids, their children about having a second box. And that the eagles would face one another when she joined him. And um, it, kind of the end of the story, and, and that really sits with me so poignantly, is she said, Eagles mate for life. Yeah. And that's a beautiful image of a continuing
0: bond. Uh, that's so touching, even here now. I, I feel like if I was in the session with her, I would be weeping <laughs> like <Yes. laughs> I want to weep right now, just listening to such a beautiful image and just such a beautiful story, and such a beautiful bond of love. Yeah. And I think this really speaks to the very heart of what we do in session. is is really unpacking the bond and helping them explore and feel and connect to that loved one. Um and it it can just be so healing, right? And I imagine, again, I kind of bring back to therapists who maybe don't have as strong of a roadmap as we do in EFT or unsure of how to read the map, how we, we, when somebody passes away or we lose a relationship or a loved one, it leaves a hole, right? But the idea yes. isn't necessarily to plug the hole with something different, right?
1: yeah. Yes. No, yeah, well said. That's right. And especially I think in the early days of loss, most poignantly, we feel a void. We again, expect our partner to look for um, their shoes at the door, or we expect our pet to be outside <laughs> the door when we um, come through it. Um, and, 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 you know, from an attachment point of view, what we would say is that returning to your good question about grief is that when we grieve someone we love, we make space for something or someone new while retaining the old, mm-hmm. while, while maintaining um, our, and in the case that I was talking about earlier, her story of love, mm-hmm. uh, loss. Mm-hmm. And, and as we do that, we continue to grow and expand and there there's more space for new things.
0: That really strikes me um, as very important when we're thinking about how grief affects someone and sort of successful, non-successful grief or, you know, the sense of stuckness is, you know, if we lose, um, you know, not to say that Moving on always means having a new relationship. I guess it sort of depends on where you are in your life and and such. But if you're even a younger person who's grieving a living person, um, loss of a relationship, how is that loss experienced? Um, I think one of the fundamentals of loss that we have to do is organize it, be with them in that place and organize, make meaning, make sense out of it, which not a lot of people get and again it goes back to the idea of trauma what happens not what happens to us but what happens inside of us as a result of what happens to us which certainly loss it can be traumatizing and so to be in it and make sense out of it organize it is the person then kind of responding in an avoidant kind of way where this hurts so much that i never want to feel this again that i never want to open my heart again and so really, really working through, through those spaces, right. Or not really, maybe in an anxious way, not letting themselves really sit and honor the feelings, but trying to plug the hole by quickly, like too quickly moving on as a way to numb out the pain.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Annabelle, as you um, shared uh, that what the, one of the things that came to mind is, yeah, that's right. I just shared a beautiful story of love and loss and um, secure attachment, but that's right. Sometimes we lose loved ones and we haven't resolved an attachment injury or we haven't grieved the loss of our childhoods that came before the loss of a caregiver or a parent or an aunt or an uncle, or whatever the case may be, or we haven't resolved some aspect of that relationship. So there can be layers of loss. And again, the attuned um, EFIT or EFT therapist will join with the client to really get to know the world um, that they live in and have lived in and the context of their relational world, including um, the relationships. Um, with with lost loved ones, and so too do we then begin to identify potential blocks or barriers to um, to growth and to connection. And we can then, um, like you say, use our roadmap to help remove those barriers and kickstart this organic growth process that we wholly believe in and uh, have the honor of witnessing day after day in our therapy.
0: Well that's that's so well said is you know you shared a beautiful story of the loss of secure attachment, what happens when there's not a securely attached relationship and you have to grieve that, which can almost be more disorienting, right? Harder to make sense out of it because there were feelings that were unresolved before the loss, and then more feelings that come through the loss, and you know there's so many complexities there and layers. And, you know, I was just thinking, are there any kinds of um, blocks that you see? I mean, I know they can be very diverse and nuanced, but are there any common ones that kind of come to your mind that you see more frequently than others? Or what are some basic starting blocks that therapists might expect to encounter? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, good question. So when we think about you know, emotion focused therapy and emotion moves us. Mm -hmm. Um, So central from an EFT point of view is that a block um, is likely to emerge in the context of a pivotal event that shapes us, but we've not yet, not moved with and through the emotion associated with that event. It could be a loss, it could be an attachment injury, Mm -hmm. it could be um, a traumatic event, and 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 so re- returning to these key pivotal moments and really tuning in and being curious about how our clients have managed those um, helps us to discern um, where and when our client might um, have become blocked in, in terms of, once again, this organic growth process.
0: Could a block be sort of like around the acceptance that the loss occurred, that it the finality of it
1: yes and most certainly in my work surrounding traumatic loss that that is common and I would I would consider that a part of this whole notion of disorganization and disorientation Mm -hmm. that denial quote-unquote could be a part of it and not wanting to believe of course I don't want to believe that the young boy that I said goodbye to is not coming home again and had his whole life ahead of him of course I don't want to believe that or a missing person of course I don't want to believe that that person is ever going to be found again um, and be a part of our dinner table or a part of our um, annual events or celebrations such as weddings, or whatever the case may be, of course. And again, attachment provides us with a guide and a map that all of this makes exquisite sense. Mm -hmm. So we can track and validate and be with our clients wherever they are, and help them move forward from um, wherever their starting point is.
0: Yeah. And the word comfort comes to mind, help them receive comfort. And it's amazing how many clients struggle to receive comfort in places of pain. Yeah. And
1: I think that makes perfect sense. Nobody encounters vulnerability alone. We um, hear that and um, talk about that a lot. And so sometimes sometimes, not encountering vulnerability alone is not just about being alone, but being able to take in the love from yeah. another or the comfort or the care from another. And so that is potentially a block that might um, get in the way of helping a client. Yeah.
0: Especially well. if they've had to face vulnerability, unfortunately alone previously in their life, that facing it not alone can be new and disorienting.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And you were, you were talking about something too, and I thought about, you know, I think about the idea of divorce and breakups and separation and some of the grief work I do there where I find some clients with anxious attachment rush to move on super fast, and then they're still angry and they spend their early um, dating periods talking constantly about their ex, even if it's in a negative way. Um, like bashing them, expressing anger, and <laughs> thinking, well, maybe we're not totally through grieving this relationship
1: uh-huh.
0: And so there's so many. it just reminds me of all the various facets of love and loss and but I think it's complex on both sides. some some say, you know, death is harder if if there's something unresolved, this feeling of how do I resolve that? Though others would, you know, have described maybe death would feel better because our tendency of humans to want to pin it on something, we can say, well, because there was a death, but what if that person's living and the idea of them still living means I was rejected versus they left, you know, unintentionally, you know, or without the choice. Yeah. And coming mm-hmm. back around those meanings associated with loss. Uh hmm
1: yeah and um working in trauma uh we see that a lot and that um people will often blame themselves Mm. for um for the lack of love or connection or caring and caregiving and again we have a map to help clients to tune into themselves and find themselves in new ways that allow them to Um, identify a bit more self-compassion and then begin to dissolve some of that shame that so often accompanies that kind of loss or that kind of abandonment.
0: Yeah. So we can sort of talk about another form of grief here that I imagine therapists might be asking about that doesn't necessarily include another person, but maybe parts of self, like, you know, loss of identity, Maybe a person is going through a growth cycle and internally they're becoming someone new, letting go of childhood, moving out of the youthful part of adulthood into midlife or retirement. Um, How would the work shift or be maybe a little more nuanced when we're talking about grief in these ways?
1: Yeah, it's such a good um, question. and I think that's right loss can come in very varying forms loss of country loss of identity loss of job and vocation which is associated with identity um, retirement uh, all kinds of um, things can bring us um, face to face with loss and grief and I think the same principle holds that when we really can join with our clients and move with and through the emotion associated with that, that that allows our clients to grieve and make space for something or someone new. And and it's there that they can then begin to be curious and explore and identify new um, possibilities, for example, in terms of relationship or in terms of creating a home in a new um, country or, and embracing the old, perhaps bringing more to the forefront. As we grieve, it, it's easier for us to tolerate cues and memories that put us in touch with our loss. So we can bring forward more of who we are um, in those capacities when we've allowed ourselves to feel some of the emotions associated with the loss. Mm-hmm. Of those aspects of our histories,
0: you know, it really comes to my mind again is you know we we mentioned this early is meaning making, and and we know that human beings in general are meaning making machines, and I think when we move through a loss, whether it's a a, a person or a relationship or a part of self, an identity. If we're not a, I think part of the essential, the grief process that's essential is the ability to make meaning, to come alongside them in order and organize the meaning. Cause it's a lot easier to also make sense of the emotions attached when we can connect them to the emotion. And, you know, as Rumi says, the, the cure for the pain is in the pain, right? Yeah. So being able to come into that pain, not to Camp out and set up permanent residence, but to make meaning, to get the cure, you know, to really be able to order and organize and know where where we need to do our work, where the most healing needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and again,
1: we are just not wired to do that alone.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes. That makes so much sense, even as I think back with a lot of clients who have gone through things now, and we reflect over their childhood where they didn't have, the the one thing that they lacked was a caregiver coming alongside them in pain and organizing their experience. So then, of course, through their adult life, as they go through other painful experiences and loss, they have a hard time organizing and make sense of that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, exactly yeah and so as therapists we need to tune in in a way that allows our clients to move through those layers of loss potentially mm.
0: so if there's a therapist who i mean i wouldn't imagine i mean maybe based on a therapist's own window of tolerance but i wouldn't imagine that folks necessarily have to be a grief specialist if you work with humans and you work with emotions and you're. Highly skilled at working with both, um, that you can still work with grief, but if if folks feel kind of new to the idea of grief or or maybe through this we're helping them see that they can work with grief. Um, what would you sort of what message would you give to them about where to start or what's if they had one nugget to take away today about working with grief, what would you say?
1: Oh um, wow! That's a good question. <laughs> I think that um you know grief is a part of our shared humanity, and that you know i i think it's i think it's valid and legitimate that for some therapists and especially in the early days or the wake of their own grief and loss that 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 would might be intolerable to sit with others in theirs and i think that's would be of course legitimate and i think that in eft of course we're very accustomed to working with emotion and intense emotion but for some of us that's hard it's hard to maintain our emotional balance it's hard to not be impacted by what can be really gut-wrenching um, loss but I think I think once again you know people will have their own roadmaps and the roadmap we have of course is an attachment-based humanistic experiential therapy that allows us to walk with our clients with and through the grief and loss and we are fortunate to be able to do that and the thing that comes to mind is I work a lot also with first responders who might have to share um, with a loved one that their their child or their partner or whoever it might be, may not be um, coming through this door again. And and they they remain at the doorstep. As therapists, we have the amazing privilege to walk through that door and um, with our clients to the other side of the the loss that can be so devastating and often shocking in a moment like that so i think i would say that it's a great honor and privilege and i would encourage um, all of us to um i think become more and more comfortable And, and i think um you know there's a lot of discussion in community about feeling pressure around grief um, when we lose someone and I think the more that we can even just share about that being a natural organic process that we all go through and that there's not a specific you know prescription for how we do it and when we do it and the timeline for it and and Most reassuring, I think, is this whole notion of continuing bonds, Mm -hmm. that even when we lose someone we love, someone precious, when that, and especially when that person has been a pillar of security, that we can hold on to -hmm. the memories and the touch and the voice, Mm -hmm. and all kinds of aspects of that person, um, for a lifetime and beyond.
0: Yeah, that's so beautifully said, and and you said something here that really emerged in my mind about um, sort of a felt sense that maybe more modern industrialized countries struggle more with tolerating painful emotions, tolerating distress. And so, of course, when it comes to grief, maybe the we see the problem as as the fact that they had this loss rather than something, a natural part of life and that we want to help them through. And it also strikes me as an opportunity to learn about somebody's culture. Yes. Our, oh, yeah. yeah. There are lots of cultures that have different expressions of grief. I mean, I think um, I, I met a lady from Vietnam who had expressed that they like actually take a period of time. I think it's like eight days or something. I could be wrong, but when I remember they they take a period of time where it is to grieve as a family. Um, you know the the grave sites are like these big shrines. Everybody really comes together. This real felt sense of connection and honoring. And I think culturally, our relationship to death or loss is big, and a lot of cultures um, seem to make room for that as a healthy and normal process. And so. You know, if you do have a client from, who's not from America, or even if they are, but they identify with another culture, this could be an opportunity to really bring in those parts. How would we honor this loss through the lens of your culture? How would yeah. we express grief, express love for this bond?
1: Yes, such a very important and great point thank you yeah so we've been talking about the care model in EFT (laughs) um context attachment the therapeutic relationship or alliance and emotion Mm -hmm. and that's right again we want to join with our clients for from a place of curiosity, mm-hmm. how, 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 do, how do you make sense of grief? What does grief look like in your family? What, is, what does it mean to lose a loved one? What does loss mean? Um, what happens? And what's your perception of um, what's, quote, normal or expected in your family, neighborhood, community, culture, um, whatever the case may be, and and what does that look like and feel like? What, what did you do following the loss of a loved one? Was there any kind of certain ritual or service? And, um, yeah, all those questions. And, again, we want to join with our clients from a place of curiosity. And really tune in to their specific felt experience, even if we know something about the world they lived in, mm-hmm. um to not assume but to really listen and learn and tune in um and again, you know, I think about that beautiful young indigenous woman who shared with me about her relationship with her grandma and um and and just just to really get not just information, but a visceral sense really, I think helps us um to tune in and be with our clients, join with our clients with this special mm-hmm. safe haven alliance that we talk about in EFT. That's
0: so beautiful, Leanne. I even think um, you know, with some clients that maybe identify as sort of a lack of rituals, a lack of tradition or expression um i've which I've had many clients say, and and they actually felt kind of sad that there that there wasn't something like that. The family seemed kind of closed off or avoidant of processing that. and so you know, in some of my work with clients in that situation, we were able to be curious and you know, okay, so your family didn't have a ritual, but what would you like to do if would you like to create a ritual? What speaks to you, what feels most honoring in your heart of this bond? Of this relationship that you've had. And, and it's been really cool to have clients come up with their own ways that they want to honor that loss and, and be able to do something new.
1: Yes. Yeah. Such a great point. That's excellent. So earlier I was speaking about the, um, woman who who planted an apple tree and initially it was hard for her to even look at that apple tree and then on the other side of this process together um she could um celebrate in the blossoms that came in spring and the apples that of course um showed up in the fall months and yeah I love what you're saying about joining with our clients and and maybe maybe their representation of their loved one might be a special rock or a necklace or whatever it might be. And then when they are in times of need, they could touch it and feel it and, and um, connect with that um, continuing bond or yeah. that, that key other.
0: And, and too, I want to make sure that therapists with, with, every time you talk about the apple tree um, I think about, Um, my husband's loss of his grandfather. And this is where I want therapists to really check and make sure that we're mindful about bias. Um, So we learn in multicultural counseling, um, it's very common for certain manifestations of loss to be normal, such as dreaming of a lost one, um, being visited by the spirit or the ghost, and so we don't want to jump to pathology, like maybe you're hallucinating, which I have definitely seen therapists do, and that can be a culture bias. And um, I think of, you know, my my husband has had after his grandfather passed, um, he had a dream, you know, sometime later and his grandfather came to him or he might've been talking to him on the phone and he was talking about enjoying the avocados, something about the avocados. And so he told his grandmother and she was just brought to life with that. And it really mattered to her. And it was like a message from him to her because she knew this piece of him that this was really him because when he was younger, he would spend days picking avocados from the orchard and it was his favorite thing to do. And he ate an avocado like every day of his life. So it was really special. And and my husband's dog that passed away years ago comes and visits him in his dreams every now and then. And I know that it makes him very happy, you know. So sometimes I've had clients where they're like, I don't dream about them, and that can feel like you know, what does that mean about our our bond that I'm not getting these visits that I long to have? So mm-hmm. you know, just really making space for multiple expressions of loss.
1: Yes. Yeah. I love the way you said that. Mm-hmm. Making space for multiple and varied expressions of loss. Exactly.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, this is awesome, Leanne. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I hope For the therapist watching that you feel inspired, that you feel maybe a sense of empowerment to step into grief with your clients that, you know, you don't have to have a magic wand or wear a cape in order to do this, (laughs) you know, that that that's really just coming alongside another human being and, and expanding our own window of tolerance to tolerate the distress that happens there. And just to be that comfort, that connection with them in this space. So Leanne, if folks want to look you up, if they want to follow you or ask you to come to their area and do a training, where can they find you?
1: Uh, they can find me through EFT Vancouver Island. And um, if officers um, are interested specifically in grief, I did do a grief training with Sue Johnson um, through PESI in the spring. And that's available and, yeah, lots of um, trainings in trauma and, of course, EFT and couple therapy. Um, so, yeah, pleasure. A pleasure to be with you always and, uh, yeah, and and a part of this community.
0: And so your website is like Vancouver VancouverIslandEFT.com? Yes. Perfect. And I'll make sure that I put a um, link to Leanne's site in the description of this video so you guys can just click right on it. And find her. And of course, you can Google her. And can they email you through your website as well?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. And you mentioned some resources on PESI. So you can find Dr. Leanne Campbell on um, PESI as well and see her uh, um, workshop on grief. And if you'd like to have her come to your area to do a training on grief or trauma or EFIT you know, just reach out to Leanne. She's amazing. She's incredible. And uh, I've been through quite a few of her trainings and I just absolutely love it. I I walk away with something powerful every time. So I really invite you guys to uh, look her up and and join. So (laughs) thank you again, Leanne, for being with us. And uh, it's just been such a pleasure to have you. Thank
1: you. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Thank you to our viewers. Make sure that you check out my book on Amazon, um, Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Difficult Clients. It is basically a whole self of the therapist book, going through various types of difficult clients and really challenging the therapist to look inside as to what comes up for them and work through some of their issues so they can um, be in that channel of empathy to be with the clients that they struggle with the most. And make sure that you guys visit isef.com for a list of EFT trainings coming up. And make sure you check out wehearttherapy.com. We've got a lot of exciting things in the work, including retreats and conferences and therapist summer camp coming up in the summer of 2023. So make sure you check it out. And make sure that you click on Leanne's link if you're watching this on YouTube. If you are listening to this on podcast, you'll just have to rewind and take a note, unfortunately. But thank you again to all of our viewers. And just make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Don't forget to buy my book. Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Resistant Clients, for Helping Professionals, available on Amazon or on my website, www.drbugatti.com.